few weeks ago, we talked about the book. We talked about that we should be people of the book. I'm going to ask you, if you want to answer, you can. If you don't want to answer aloud, that's okay too. Uh, have you been in your book? Have you been in the Bible more than before? Good. We need to be, a, if we're going to talk about what kind of church we want to be, we need to be a people of the book. We need to be people who believe God's word and not only just believe it and say that we believe it's right, but also we believe it so much that we make it a part of our lives. It's incredibly important. I cannot emphasize that enough. But also, we talked about unbelief and the danger of unbelief and how it's so rampant and how to deal with that. We talked last week about this uh, model prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples. Actually, he didn't just give it to the disciples. He, this is during the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 6. And, and, uh, and we talked about those first, the first thing he talked about, which was uh, uh, in verse, uh, verse 9. There you go. I had to find it. Excuse me. After this minute, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We talked about the power that is in prayer, and that power exists in who? In a person, right? It exists in who? Okay, uh, imagine you're in Sunday school, and you're about eight years old, and, uh, and somebody asks a question, you weren't really paying attention, and so what's the first thing you, you realize? Somebody asked me a question, what do I say? And then you knew the question was looking for a name, so what do you say? Jesus, yeah, God, okay. The power of prayer is in God. It's not in us. It's not in even the words that we might use. And certainly what we say is important, but even more important is that we understand who we're praying to and that who we're praying to is a God of power and a God who we can believe will respond to prayer a God who listens to us. And I, I, I chased this rabbit trail quite a bit last week. A God who is holy, who is an incredible, incredibly holy and righteous God. But uh, this morning, I, I confess I can only get us about one more verse down the road. And I'm not going to preach this entire uh, prayer necessarily, but I am going to preach verse 10, where Jesus, in telling them, this is the prayer you should pray in verse 9, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Verse 10, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John Newman said, prayer is to the spiritual life with the beating of the pulse and the drawing of breath are to the life of the body. Uh, you need a pulse. I'll, I'll tell a funny story about this. My dad, uh, many of y'all know my dad is a heart transplant patient. And uh, during that uh, uh, journey to receiving a heart transplant, they gave him what they call an LVAD. Anybody know what an LVAD is? a left ventricular assist device. And the best way I could explain it to anybody I tried to talk to about it was that it's kind of like a fountain pump that they put in your stomach and it just pumps blood through your heart. You ever seen a, pump, a, a fountain pump? Does a fountain pump have a pulse? Nope, it just kind of goes, doesn't it? And so what happened was my dad stopped having a pulse. How weird is that? They had to have special equipment to 
to evaluate his, uh, his, his blood pressure because they couldn't find his pulse. And what he liked to do, he liked to play jokes on the nurses when they would check for his pulse. And then he would try to act like he was a vampire. Um, you got to have a pulse, right? It's important for your living. If you don't have a pulse, then you are, well, you're dead. Uh, if, if, you, if you don't breathe, then you're, you're dead, okay? Uh, but the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you hath he quickened, that means you're now made alive, and to live, you've got to breathe, and to, in your spiritual life, we need to pray. We need to be people who pray. It's incredibly important. Jesus understood this. He, he knew that the key to his success was prayer. If you, if you read through the Gospels, and I'm reading through the book of Mark right now, and excuse me, the book of Matthew right now, and, and if you read through that, it's, it's difficult not to notice how often Jesus prays. Uh, a really wonderful um, a writer from the early turn of the century, S.D., not this century, the last century, uh, S.D. Gordon, uh, Samuel Gordon, he he described what prayer meant to Jesus. He said, prayer was not only his regular habit, but his resort in every emergency, however slight or serious. When perplexed, Jesus prayed. When, pressed hard, or when hard pressed by work, Jesus prayed. When hungry for fellowship, Jesus found it in prayer. Jesus chose his associates and he received his messages upon his knees. If tempted, Jesus prayed. If criticized, Jesus prayed. If fatigued in body or wearied in spirit, Jesus had recourse to his one unfailing habit of prayer. Prayer brought him unmeasured power at the beginning and kept the flow unbroken and undiminished. There was no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity, and no temptation that, did not, that would not yield to prayer. Jesus understood a necessity for prayer in his life. And when we're talking about essentials to our faith and to our belief and to our walk as a Christian, the Word of God is there, us having real Trusting in God, faith is there, and then we must be people who pray. It is essential to us. In this model prayer, we've, we've talked already about uh, where the power is in prayer. This morning, let's consider these next words, thy kingdom come. That's the sermon title this morning, thy kingdom come. Your bulletin says different. Sorry, Becky, I told you the wrong one. Thy kingdom come. Well, what's important about the kingdom come? I mean, we, we probably should talk a little bit about the kingdom. You know, Jesus, when he came on earth, if you read, uh, if you read through these gospels, do you know how focused he was on the kingdom? That was his great passion. His passion was to usher in the kingdom. And believe it or not, there is a real kingdom of God. It exists. We're part of it here right now, and it has not been fully realized, but it is coming closer and closer every day. 
But we look at this. We, we might even, some of you might even pray this prayer out of habit. You've memorized this prayer as a child and you, you pray uh, this model prayer. Uh, uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and give us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we repeat those words, but they lose their meaning. There's a real kingdom. Uh, my wife and I, uh, for our honeymoon, we went to Disney World. How many of you ever been to Disney World? The Magic Kingdom. You know, the, that is like, uh, I think, one of the coolest places on the planet. I don't know about what it's like now, uh, but six, almost 16 years ago, it was pretty cool. And everything is clean, and everybody is friendly, and everything costs a fortune, but you don't care because you're having a great time. It's awesome. It's like a, it's like a slice of, of, of the Disney heaven, right? It's, it's, it's this, this place where you're kind of away from the real world, and you're in this magical kingdom. Of course, then the, the day ends with you stuck in traffic trying to get out of the parking lot, uh, and, and, and reality comes back pretty fast, or then you hop a plane back home, and you still have bills to pay, and now you got credit card bills to pay because you spent a whole bunch of money at Magic Kingdom. Uh, that may be the closest uh, example I can think of, but the, real, the problem with the Magic Kingdom is that it's not real. Even for the people that go there every single day, there's people that work there, and they're there every single day. That's not reality. Maybe a good uh, uh, 21st century analogy would be video games. Uh, I grew up in in an age, I remember uh, when I was about five years old when we got Nintendo for Christmas and my brothers, I still have this image in my mind of my brothers holding the box of the Nintendo above their heads like, oh, it's the greatest day ever. And video games are awesome and they've become more and more elaborate and now you can immerse yourself in an entire world. In fact, you can put on a headset. I've never done that before, but you can put on a whole headset and you're in a virtual world that is completely separate from reality. But the problem is, is it's not real. But the kingdom of God is real. It's real. This is no make-believe kingdom. This is no pretend paradise. This is a reality. It has a, a, a real place. It's, it's, it's coming to be here on earth. It will be realized uh, in eternity. It has a real king. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. It has certain characteristics. It, it gives us peace, lasting peace and joy. It has uh, gives us wholeness and love, and, uh, and those things are forever present. And you can experience those things if you're a believer, and you decide you're going to seek the kingdom, and you're going you're to live out the reality of the kingdom of God here on earth. You'll experience the peace and joy that, that God has for you there. Your, your circumstances may not uh, all line up, but you'll have peace and joy knowing that God is, all of this stuff is temporary. And, and what is lasting is peace and joy and love. It's wonderful. It is a kingdom of eternal life, a place without death, uh, uh, no fear, no death, no tears, 
No more sorrow, no more night. It's a great song from the early 90s if you wanted to date me a little bit. It's the life that we should embrace as a believer. Jesus didn't come and talk everywhere he went about the coming kingdom to fill our minds with wishful thinking. Christ, in a command, says, Seek ye the kingdom of God first. Seek ye first. He was talking about something real. Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Let's talk a little bit about that. If there's a kingdom, what does a kingdom kind of by name must have? It must have a... It's got to have a king. If it doesn't have a king, it's not a kingdom. There's no kingdom of the United States. You know why? Because we ain't got no king. Praise the Lord for that. Um, if, we, if the guy was in office now, was king, we'd be in more trouble than we are already. If there's a kingdom, there must be a king. And we have a king. His name is Jesus. Jesus uh, uh, was, was announced by John in the wilderness, John the Baptist in the wilderness, announcing this king. His message was powerful. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then guess who showed up? The king. When, when people saw Jesus, they beheld the king of the kingdom. When you, uh, in your own life, when you realized that, that uh, you had zero hope of, of, of receiving forgiveness of sins without Jesus Christ, guess who gave you e- eternal life? Guess who gave you that forgiveness of sins? Yeah, it was Jesus. You can say Jesus. It was Jesus the King. Amen. He's the King. And not only is uh, he the King, he is, again, I talked about how he was passionate about the kingdom. If you go, it was a major theme of his preaching was on the kingdom. He talks about it. Uh, I, I've, uh, I just did a little search on this. It's, supposedly he brought it up 49 times in the book of Matthew. He preached about the kingdom 49 times in the book of Matthew. 16 times in Mark. 38 times recorded in the book of Luke. That's 103 times in just the first three gospels where he talked about the kingdom. Before Jesus went to the cross in Luke 4.43, he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. His mind as he went to the cross was on the kingdom. Then he was nailed to the cross. He was buried in a tomb. And praise God, he was raised on the third day. And guess what he did for 40 days after that? He went back to preaching about the kingdom. He was seen by hundreds of people. He, he spoke about the kingdom. I could take you to Acts chapter 1 verse 3 and, and talk about how he talked about the kingdom there. He was passionate about the kingdom. Jesus is passionate about the kingdom. Jesus, uh, in talking about the kingdom, wants us to repent. Brother Darren, where are you going with this? We're talking about prayer we're talking about this model prayer that Jesus gave us. We're talking about, yeah, last week, the power that is in prayer, which is the power which is in God, which is immeasurable. And now we're talking about how thy kingdom come should matter to us. The king, if we want the kingdom to come, if we're going to pray that prayer, then Jesus wants you to repent. How many of y'all have a will? I'm not talking about like a, a legal document. How many of you decide what you eat for lunch? How many of you decide uh, uh, when you go to bed? 
kids, put your hands down, okay? Because you don't get to decide that yet. Uh, you have a will. And your will generally will say, well, this is kind of what I want to do, and I don't really care what anybody else thinks anymore. Uh, a friend of ours on uh, uh, Facebook on Friday She's a teacher, and uh, she used to go to Temple Baptist Church back in Texas City, and, and uh, uh, she, she messaged in the morning, um, why can't I just stay in bed and not go to work today? And I messaged her, stay in bed, don't go to work today, you're a grown-up, do whatever you want. She said, well, the fact that I'm a grown-up doesn't mean I can do that anymore. And I said, well, it cuts both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. We want to think we can do whatever we want, and the reality is, is you can. You want to stay in bed all day? You want to go home and not come to church next Sunday? Cool, stay home. You're a grown-up. You can do whatever you want. Kids, sorry. You'll have that drug problem about your parents dragging you to church. Our will wants, it, wants to go its own way. But when you're in the kingdom means that your will is now bent to God's will. That's what that says. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Uh, anybody who prays that, if they just pray about it uh, and they have a, like a little hedge in their own life, well, thy kingdom come out there. Uh, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of keep my kingdom going on right here. Listen, you're not praying as Jesus had intended you to pray that prayer. Praying this prayer, uh, saying that thy kingdom come should mean that it happens in your own life. It means you repent from your own will. For, for me and you to pray thy kingdom come means we're willing to repent and invite the king to sit on the throne of our life. Not only that, Jesus wants us to seek the kingdom above all else. If you would just turn, I'm going to turn the page. You might need to turn the page. And you look over to the near the end of chapter 6. And we've spent a good deal amount of time on this a few years ago, talking about chapter 6, verse 33. How many of y'all could quote that from memory if I asked you to? Probably many of you. It's a pretty common, well-known verse. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus had just talked about all these things that we worry about, all this stuff that we, we apply our will to, and we, we decide these are the things that are going to govern our will and, and our actions and our time and how we spend our time and what we do. And what Jesus said is, listen, God knows you have need of all these things, so you just seek his kingdom. You seek to be part of his kingdom. He wants us to seek uh, 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 his kingdom above everything else. He doesn't say, seek ye second, or seek ye when you get around to it. Seek ye first, the kingdom of God. Actively seeking the kingdom. We must be actively seeking to live for our king. Remember, if it's a kingdom, he has a what? It's got a king. Y'all gonna have to wake up a little bit, okay? If it's a kingdom, this has a king... And if you're a part of the kingdom, then you ought to be seeking to please him. I'm reminded of Jesus <laughs> and the, uh, when he said, 
I always seek to do those things that please him. Who is he talking? This is Jesus talking. Who is he? That Jesus is the king. Who is he trying to please, though? His father. He's our example. He's our example. We're, we're to constantly seek to please him. Where should, we, where should we seek him? How about in home? Are you supposed to seek the kingdom at home? What does that look like? Husbands? Oh, man, y'all are quiet right now. You're waiting for me to fill in the blanks for you. Husbands, love your wife. As Christ loved the church. Passionately. Sacrificially. Hey, that means whenever she's tired and doesn't want to do the dishes or put the kids to bed, guess what you should do? Get up off your duff, and do the dishes, and love your wife. I was, when I was a teenager, somebody taught me a joke to tell my mom, So a Sunday school teacher taught me this. It was, uh, hey, mom, uh, this, is how, this is Darren, little, like a 12-year-old Darren sitting in the car, giggling. <laughs> I'm going to say something funny. Hey, mom, how, how many men does it take to clean a toilet? None, it's a woman's job. Guess what I got to do for like a month? <laughs> clean the toilet. My wife is thankful. I know how to clean the toilet now. My boys know how to clean toilets. At home, we should, husbands should be servant leaders. Jesus being the king, his example for us as king was, he was lording it over everybody else, right? That was his example? No. Jesus came to serve in fact, he, he told those two uh, disciples, those two apostles, James and John, he said, the greatest shall be the servant. Husbands, we should be servant leaders in our home. We should be sacrificial lovers of our wife. We should have passionate love for her. Love that, that means that we're willing to kind of drop our own will and do what's best for her. Wives. Wives have a, a functioning role in the home just like husbands do. Uh, they're often the heart of the home. They, they make things beautiful and wonderful and they serve as well. What about in the church? Are we supposed to seek the kingdom in the church? Yeah. What does that look like? You serve, yeah. There you go. That's an easy one. Serve what? Serve doing what? How many of y'all know that our church has needs? Our church has some real needs. Our church needs people to, to serve in children's ministries. There's people over doing children's church right now that are hardly ever in here, ever, because they're always over there. They're always serving. Do you know children's workers need breaks too? We have a, a need for us to invite people to church. We have a need for people to engage in worship. Uh, not, um, you know, 
In times like these, you need a savior. Man, worship is it's a privilege. I mean, if the object of, of worship for you is to kind of get to the sermon so Darren can get that done so I can go to lunch and then we go watch the, the Rangers beat the Astros... I mean, that's a high calling, I understand, but no. The object of worship is God. The object of worship is to praise our King and our Savior, without whom we would have nothing. We should seek the kingdom at church. We should seek the kingdom in in our regular life, in our in our jobs. Listen, if you're a different guy at work than you are at church, I hate to tell you this, but uh, that's not biblical. And God is, Jesus is not pleased with that. You should, you should shine as bright there as you shine here. The king wants us to, to repent. The king wants us to seek the kingdom above everything else. The king wants us to depend upon him completely. The, the rest of this prayer is given to uh, uh, some of those daily needs, usually the things we focus on most instead of these first two things. Forgive us our, uh, give, us this, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We focus most of our prayer on these things, and it's easy for us to kind of treat God as a, well, kind of like you go through the drive through and you rattle off your wants, and then you go through the end, and you get what you wanted. And then you move on, and you enjoy it. We do that to God frequently. It's so easy, all of us, I can do that. But being part of a kingdom, being under a real king, means that we should be completely dependent on God. Jesus didn't include these thoughts in, in this prayer to, uh, to, you know, to, to know that, oh, okay, that's, the, that's what you're supposed to be getting to, and then you kind of check off the list of things you need, and, and God will provide, no. You want, it's really more of acknowledgement that all these things that we have come from him to begin with. The food that we eat, the drink that we enjoy, they come from God. The forgiveness that we live our life under comes from God. The ability to forgive others because he's forgiven us, that comes from God. The ability to overcome temptation, all these things he lists here, this all comes from God. And so instead of, of us continually being dependent upon ourselves, we're to be, in fact, I'll change the word dependence. How about we do this? Edit sermon right now. Here we go. Uh, Jesus wants you to surrender yourself to God. Not commit. I, I, would, I, would, uh, I would tell you that if you committed yourself to reading um, the Bible every day, I think 
it's more likely that you're going to fail at some point, and that's okay. If you mess up a day, move on. Don't wallow in it, okay? Move on and just read the next day. But if you fail one day to read and you're mad at yourself because you said you were committed to that, let me tell you, it's probably the, the reason why you failed is probably because it was your will that was involved in that. It was, you had decided, that, you know what, uh, this is something I'm choosing to do and uh, I'm going to have to carve out the time. Instead of surrendering that time to God and saying that time belongs to God no matter what I want to do with it. No matter how sick I feel, no matter how tired I am, no matter how engaged I am and the Rangers beating the Astros again. That's funny. Y'all are supposed to laugh. Ah, yeah, I know. No matter how consumed you are with what's going on right in front of you, if you surrender that time to God and you say, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens today. I, God, I told God I would surrender this time to him and I would be in his word. His word says I should be in the Bible and so I'm going to do it because it's what God wants. I'm going to surrender that. Let me tell you, I think it's less likely that you're going to fail than if you just commit you're going to do it on your own. Uh, there's a difference there. and I, uh, There's, there's a, a lot of time I could take to kind of explain that difference. But listen, there's a real difference between commitment and surrender. Commitment says, I'll do it. I can do it in my own strength, on my own ability. Uh, because of my own wisdom, I'm going to do this. Surrender says, God, I, there's no way. <laughs> it's the same thing as when you got saved. If you didn't surrender to Jesus whenever you got saved, then I... I'm not going to say you're not saved, but I'm going to say you didn't get saved because of yourself. You got saved because of Jesus Christ, and you realized you couldn't do it on your own. You couldn't uh, be good enough. You couldn't be righteous enough. You couldn't fix your life and clean, up, clean it up enough. You, remember, you realized that your only hope for forgiveness and, and eternal life was Jesus Christ, and you said, Jesus, I'm just going to have to put it on you because I can't do it. It ought to be like that in every area of our life. I've never lived in a, in a real kingdom. Uh, I've never, I, I mean, I have. Uh, I've never lived in a real earthly kingdom. There's never been a real earthly monarch ruling over me. I've always been in this, uh, 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 this democratic republic that we call the United States and uh, been super blessed. But it does kind of remove from us, that first-hand knowledge of what it means to have a king. To have a king means that all allegiance is given to him. To have a king means that what he says goes. To have a king means that he is your Lord over all of your life. A real, absolute king. And we have a real king. And we need to surrender our life to him. We're to be people of prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
This prayer should speak as much into our life as it should say to God about our attitude towards Him. We should be people who pray like Jesus all the time. Whatever the need. Whatever the issue. We should praise Him when things go our way and ask Him to help us handle them the right way. And when we find ourselves in trouble, we should already be prayed up anyway. We need to be people who look to the book and people who who spend a lot of time on their knees. Because I'm just going to tell you flat out, I can't pastor this church on my own strength. I really stink at it. I need him so bad. And for you and me to do anything for God here, for this church to live and thrive and fulfill the mission that has been given to this church and all of the Lord's churches, we need him. Our access to him is through this book and on our knees. Church members, will you join me in this? Will you join me in in praying fervently in all areas of our life? I've asked you to look to the book. We have, uh, I haven't said this before, but we have a a, a Bible reading um, guides. Yes, thank you, Eric. They're there all the time. Talk about how many chapters you need to read a day to read the Bible in a year. I put back there my own present plan that I'm reading, 10, 10 chapters a day from 10 different areas in the Bible. What's cool is not, I, it's not like I read 30 chapters, 30 chapters, 30 chapters, and, and then I start all of those chapters over. Uh, I, I read the book of Proverbs every 31 days, and I read it over and over. That's one of them. But I also read the Gospels through over however many, 100 days, I think is, it's close to 100 days. So at any given time, I'm never reading the same chapters at the same time. And God's word is starting to come alive in a way I, I, I hadn't experienced before. So we need to be people of the book, but we need to be people on our knees. Will you join me in this? Let's stand together. We're going to have a short time of invitation. I don't know uh, if you've kind of been letting your kingdom come in your little life, um, and maybe you need to come and say, thy kingdom come, and you need to surrender yourself to the Lord. I don't know what kind of decision God wants you to make, but I'm going to encourage you to do it. It's the time to respond. But when this is over, there's still something taking place between you and God. He wants us to respond to him. Uh, His word says that his uh, his word will not return into itself void, having done no work. But I can tell you, we can stop his word from doing any work in our life. We only have that strength and ability, that will, because he's given it to us to do that. Because he doesn't want us, he wants us to do it willingly. Let's respond to his word. Lord, we thank you. 
thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We pray that this message will make an impact. Lord, help us to be people who pray. Lord, help us to be people who pray and understand that um, that what we pray and how we pray and our attitude in prayer should matter. Uh, that it's not just rolling up to the uh, to the window of a fast food and asking for what we want and then rolling off thankful that we got what we wanted. Lord, it's it's a life of dependence and surrender to you. It's a life. Uh, uh, it's an expression of our trust in you. It's not some kind of magic thing. It's real. It has to do with our real relationship with you. And Lord, I pray you help us to value it more. Lord, I know most of these people here pray frequently. Lord, help us to all do it frequently. Help us to engage ourselves in prayer. Lord, I pray that there's one here today that has never trusted you. Lord, I pray you help them to understand that they must surrender their own will to your will. Put their faith and trust in Christ. I pray you bless this time of invitation to bless our church. In Christ's name I pray, amen.